open with prayer. If y'all could please agree with me tonight. Just let me know when you're ready over there and everything's good and all that. All right, so Lord, we just thank you as we pray over this sermon tonight. Father, we come in Jesus' name and through his blood. Lord, we thank you for an open heaven here, your glory here. Lord, we submit this time unto you. We submit this word unto you. And we resist the devil. The Bible says the birds of the air try to steal the seed. We bind you in Jesus' name. You will back off right now. And Lord, I thank you for your angels just clearing away any hindrance and the winds of your spirit carrying this where it needs to go. I thank you, Lord, for speaking through me everything that needs to be said today under a mighty anointing. And this will be thorough, effective, and fruitful. It will go into good soil. Even now, the Holy Spirit move upon every one of us and help us to get locked in and focused, to give you our best ear, our full attention, Lord, that we'll get locked into what you're saying. And Lord, I thank you for that. Our minds won't be distracted, but our minds will be in tune with you. And Lord, that we'll be able to understand the word of God. We'll be able to learn because the Holy Spirit helps us to do so. And Lord, I thank you for it. I thank you. The Bible says your word will not return void, but go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. We thank you for hearing and answering every prayer over this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, thank you guys for agreeing with me in prayer and those that have been praying. So I'm going to be dealing with a subject, a dovetailing from last week, okay? So last week I talked about the heavens brassing over. Now this, this week it's very similar, but I'm going to be dealing specifically with how Satan and his kingdom have blinded the minds of unbelievers. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 Verses 3 through 4. Okay, I'm going to read this to you, but I want everybody to, to give me your best ear tonight. It's a little moving around as possible, and help me preach this, okay? But this is something that you need to know, okay? How many of you guys have ever met somebody, maybe a relative, a neighbor, somebody you worked with, and it just seemed like they were just so resistant to the gospel? I mean, they just would not listen. There was something there. Well, look at this. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting with verse 3, even if our gospel is veiled. Now, how many knows that like a veil over the eyes, okay? They, it's like something hindering from being able to see. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing in whose case the God of this world or the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Wow, think about that. There's something that is like a veil over their mind that they can't see. And it says, so that they will not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There's something that is blinding them. There's something that is preventing them. And I, I read, Carlos Anacondia wrote an amazing book, Listen to Me, Satan, but he also wrote a follow-up book, and the, the name of it escapes me. But I read it, and that book, basically, he was stating that it's easy to say, well, the people are difficult, or the, the, the city, the region, the people there are resistant to the gospel, or whatever. It's easy to say that, and there's probably some truth to that, but Carlos was saying, look, he was saying, here's the thing, they're really not as hard as what you think. He said that it's the enemy that's got them bound up and blinded. And if you can deal with the enemy, you would be surprised how different they would be toward the gospel. And that's true. That's true. And so keep in mind that Carlos was the one that, that God used to spearhead 
much of that, that Argentine revival. And what happened was, and you guys know this, paying the price for the revival series we did, Edward Miller and them came in there and prayed it through until the Lord said that Lion of the tribe of Judah's roared over Argentina. The strong man has been cast down. When they got that type of a breakthrough, then it was possible for obstinate, stubborn, prideful Argentina now that something broke to where years later, Carlos and Acondia could go from city to city and see great revivals, you know, and see countless, countless hundreds of thousands of people get saved. It had to be a breakthrough in the spirit. So there's a story I want to share with you that I think you'll find really interesting. And I do remember the the story very well, but there's a couple details that I don't remember, but it won't make any difference about what the story is saying. Um, I, I have this in a book, and I could not for the life of me remember exactly what book. I was going through different books. I couldn't find it, but I do remember this story pretty well. Here's the story. I believe this is one of the details that I don't remember for sure, but I do believe that the two nations were Brazil and it was bordering with Ecuador. And it was right there at the border of Brazil and Ecuador. It could have been Paraguay, but I think it was Ecuador. But see, it's not going to really matter with the story. You'll see what I mean. So there was a group of people that were right there on the border of Brazil and I believe Ecuador. They were right there at that border and there was a group of them and they were kind of spread out, and they were witnessing. They were giving out, like, gospel pamphlets, and they were talking to people about Jesus. And I read this story, and it always stayed with me because it was so interesting to me. Now, in the story, that what happened was, and, and again, there's a couple little details. I, I think that Brazil had the open heaven, if I can remember right. But anyway, they were there witnessing and they were, uh, this one guy noticed that he was seeing so many people obstinate to the gospel. And he saw, they were spread out, and there was a border there between the two nations, and they were right at the border. And over time of out there witnessing, he started noticing that some of his companions were having people that they were talking to that were actually listening to them. But they themselves were having almost nobody listen to him at all. And he was getting kind of curious about this. And then he started noticing that some of the people that he had talked to that flat out did not want to hear it, that his companions over there were talking to him. And he was thinking, what is the deal? And so he went up to somebody and tried to give them a pamphlet. They refused it. And he, he was, by this time, he was starting to wonder what was going on. He follows them at a distance where they got on the other side from from, I believe it was the Ecuador border, over to Brazil, and he follows them over to where some of his companions were, and he goes back up to them again to give them a gospel pamphlet, and they, they stopped and they talked to him and listened to what he had to say. And so he began to wonder, what is this phenomenon that over there people are so difficult some listened, but by and large, most people were very obstinate. They didn't want to hear it. But over here, people were open to the gospel for the most part. And even some that were obstinate there were open here. He said, there's something to that. And so they began to talk about it. The long and short of it was, 
was that, if I remember the details right, that Brazil, the churches there had really been in prayer, and they had basically, because of their prayers, caused an open heaven and caused the enemy in the heavens to be bound up and, and restrained by their prayers, and it therefore, consequently, people were more open to the gospel. On the Ecuadorian side, the principality there was not bound and was not restrained, and the church was not really praying the way it should have been. Now, that is a very... See, these are the type of observations that missionaries take note of and they notice out on the missions field that a lot of times local churches, that we just go to church week in and week out and we're not out in other countries dealing with certain things, we don't even think about that, you see. But let me tell you that there are principalities that have jurisdictions. There is a principality over this Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex of course, there's one out in the east of our region in East Texas, but I remember when I met with Brother Holt, he's out in East Texas, he told me, he said, Scott, you're dealing with some giants in the land out there in the Dallas Metroplex. He said, I felt them when I came to minister for you. He said, you're dealing with some giants in the land that I don't have to deal with out here. So there's things that are set up in the heavens, and it, it's trying to brass the heavens over, and as it brasses the heavens, what happens is, is it makes it very difficult to pray. It makes things oppressed. It makes the, the spreading of the gospel difficult. And it makes the unbelievers resistant to the gospel. And so it's not the responsibility of the lost to seek God. Are y'all hearing me? It's not the responsibility of the lost to pray about something. It's the responsibility of the church. You know, when a woman goes to give birth, it's not the baby that's travailing. It's the mother. It's the responsibility of God's people. If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. What does he say? He says, I'll forgive the sin and heal what? The land. So see, there's something where the enemy tries to set up this rebel kingdom in the second heaven. They want to brass it over. They want to suppress things where it's very difficult. And I believe we're dealing with that in these latter days. And so I'm kind of coming from that story. I don't remember every detail, but the gist of the story will help you understand what I'm talking about. There's jurisdictional, territorial spirits. There's things over America. How many knows that America has principalities over this nation? But you go to other parts of the world, and it's, a, it's interesting because it's such a completely different feel spiritually. I even travel America, and I go from place to place, and it feels so different in different places. So let me give you a couple other things. Um, I'm giving you some things to think about tonight, and then I'm going to bring it all together at the end. But if we, as churches, would really get serious about prayer like you guys are doing at River of Life, I believe that the type of praying that we're doing, if churches would really get serious it will cause the prevailing princes and powers over their region and even over this nation to be hindered. Our prayers restrain them, and it causes them to, in a sense, be bound up, restrained, hindered, and then it opens things up for revival to break forth, the gospel to advance, the purposes of God to move forward. All right, but let me, again, I'm just going to give you some interesting things I want you to just consider. 
There is a residue of, spiritually speaking, there's a residue in different places. Um, There was a a, a particular woman that was telling me this story, and I know these people really well. Um, And this woman was saying that her and her daughter, they lived out in an area where there used to be a lot of Native American activity. As a matter of fact, if you go out to this part of our nation, there, it's a place where you can find like a lot of old arrowheads and things like that, okay? A lot of Native American, and she was telling me that her and her daughter, that they had gone outside one night, and for both of them to see this, there had to be something to it. She said that they, they were outside, and they were looking in this field, and they were talking, and it was like the strangest thing they could see in the above like this tree, tree tops or whatever, they could see what looked like a, like a fire and like Native Americans around the fire dancing. And she, she said that they, she even heard the incantation drum beats. And so she looks at her daughter and says, do you see that? And she said, I see it too. So what, what was that? That's a residue of something that once was that even though it's not there now, there's still some kind of a spiritual residue there. See, those are things that you need to consider when you go into regions of the world, regions of this nation. You need to take inventory about what are you going into? What are you going to be spiritually coming up against? What are you dealing with? I'm going to give you, this goes both good and bad. Let me give you a good one. There was a minister that it went to, an area to preach in our nation where the Appalachian Mountains are. And he was saying that when he was there, there was a a group of people. It was a season when the 90s revivals were really raging, and he was there ministering. And as a group of people, different churches came together, he was there. They were worshiping. He was ready to go minister. And he said that all of a sudden, it was like the Lord just gave him some kind of a vision and where he heard it too, he didn't just see, but he heard, and he could hear in the hills of the Appalachians out there where he was at, he, he, all of a sudden he was hearing people praying. He said he could hear him, Lord, send revival, save my children, help us, Lord, don't pass. He was hearing this, and he thought, my goodness, what am I hearing? And so whenever the worship ended, it was, t- it was his time to go up and minister. He got up there, and he said, to the people that were there, he said, I just had the strangest thing happen to me. He said, I'm there just ready to preach. I've got my notes. I'm kind of looking over them. I'm preparing to get up here. And all of a sudden, I'm here, and he's describing what he's hearing, and the people just started weeping. And they said, brother, that was our mom. That was our grandma. That was my grandpa used to walk out here in these mountains, and they would spend hours in prayer, praying for revival, praying that God would send revival to our families and to this region and to our nation let me tell you something, there's still a residue there. Isn't that interesting? I know for myself, I have felt this in places I've gone, both good and bad, but I, I've gone down to Cane uh, Ridge, Kentucky, a Paris, Kentucky area, and you go down in there and um, you can go to the meeting house and that, that big old giant field out there is where they had the Cambridge Revival. And I remember going out there with my wife, and, I, and as soon as we got there, I wasn't really expecting a lot because really it's just like a shrine. It's a, 
It's just a memorial. It's like a, uh, some kind of a, something set up to remember what was, okay? And while we were there, I, I felt it. I felt the presence of God still there. And I was surprised that I would feel that. It, it, there was something still. You know what? There's still a residue there of that revival. And let me just say that we went in, what, 2018 or something like that, and the revival happened in like 1801. Think about what I'm saying. How? This is something I really don't understand. I'm just putting this out there to you. How is there still a residue there? But it is. Both good and bad. What are you getting into? There was a story that Tom Horn told. It was an extremely interesting story. There was a pastor that related this to him, but there was a pastor of a church. And in this particular church, he, you know, he had been a pastor. There had been several other pastors, I believe, before him. But he was there, and he said that there, some bizarre things happened in this church. He said that he would hear that in the neighborhood people tell him things, and he thought, well, they're just imagining it, you know, but I mean, he, he started getting situations come up where the police were asking him because it was like they would leave, he would leave last, lock up, turn all the lights out, and he would get a phone call. And they would say, Pastor, you need to come. The, the lights are on at the church. He'd go there, sure enough, the lights are on. You know, the first time he thought, well, maybe I just forgot to turn them off. But then there were other crazy things that started happening. I mean, there were crazy noises. And people, people called. They called the cops. We think somebody broke into the church over there. They need to go to the cops. Would get in contact with the pastor. Pastor would come out there. Nothing was there. He didn't hear anything. But strange things. And then things started being moved. Chairs were moved. The piano was moved. And he knew he didn't do that. He's okay. I didn't do this. The people didn't do that. And so he began to really pray and ask the Lord, what am I dealing with? And through the Lord leading him, make a really long story short, he ended up going to the city and looking through the archives and finding that particular plot of land and started tracing back the history of it. And back a long time before there was a church, there was actually a group of people that had a building, and that group of people in that building actually worshiped Satan. And they had ownership. They owned that plot of land and the building at that time. And if I remember the story right, the building was leveled later. The land was sold. And then they built a new building. And it basically was like a store for a while. Then eventually that they bought the building or, or rebuilt or remodeled, whatever. And it became a church later on. But the church that purchased that had no idea about the history of it. But they were dealing with paranormal activity, demonic spirits. Hear what I'm about to tell you because this is important. They were dealing with demonic spirits that still reside there and that those demons considered that that was still their property. How many knows that once the kingdom of God comes in, we have authority over such things, but we've got to come in and let hell know you are out of here in Jesus' name. Hell leaves and heaven's coming in now. This used to be hell's property, 
but now it is under the blood of Jesus, and that legal permission is canceled, and we're driving all of hell's influence out, and heaven coming in this place, and now this is the jurisdiction of heaven. This is God's property and off limits to any trespassers. But see, I'm trying to tell some stories here to give you an idea that there was still a residue. And he traced it back that there were different things even since the Satanists were there. But no, nobody ever came in and challenged that residue. So you've got to deal with things. You can't, it doesn't just go away. I could tell so many stories like this. It, it would be a whole sermon. I could go on and on. I'm not going to do that, but I'll tell one more quick one. I remember that uh, it doesn't even matter sometimes that, that things used to be there and they're not there now. There can still be a residue until it's dealt with. See, you've got to come in. Like, for example, in the natural... If you come into a place and it's really dirty and filthy and nasty, you've got to come in with some Lysol and you've got to start scrubbing. Amen? You've got to scrub the walls, clean the floors, take out the trash. You've got to clean everything and get it sanitary. In the same way, it's exactly the same. You've got to sanitize things spiritually and get rid of the bad residue. Now, if there was something, a good residue from God, man, tap into that. You know, Lord, what was here before us, or help us just to connect with that and let that well of revival be flowing now in our generation, amen? But going back to the negative, so in the city where I live, there was a building, like many in East Dallas, East Texas, there was a building, one of the earlier buildings in that city was a Freemason Blue Lodge little building. And it still has the, you know, the square and the compass and all that. But the, as far as I know, that has not been used by Freemasons in a really long time. I don't even know who owns it now, but it's used like rented out and used by the city, for example, for early voting, for elections, things like that. It's just kind of a citywide building. And I'll give you an example of something. So one day, I was driving somewhere, and I realized I needed to type into my GPS. And this is a really small back road, really low uh, speed limit and everything. And so I just went to type it real fast. Well, I can't do it while you're driving, so I had to pull in somewhere. So I'm, I'm driving, and I'm not even thinking about anything to do with pulling into a certain building or somebody's driver or anything. I was just simply stopping my car, okay? So I pull in real quick, and I'm there. I'm looking at the address. I'm typing it in, and I felt the most awful presence, just an oppression. And I thought, man, what in the world? And I look up, and I'm parked right in front. I'm in the parking lot of that Freemasonry building. And I look up, and there's the square and compass right in my face. And I thought, well, it's, there's still a residue here. But anyway, I just typed in my address and went on my merry way. But see, if it, let's just say, for example, that building was leveled, and let's say the land was sold 10, 15 years later. Let's say a church buys it, and they go into that. They build up a church you would never know, but yet it would not surprise me if that church was not oppressed and had a difficult time. They felt like they were coming up against something until they cleansed it. See, we have authority to cleanse these things, but it has to be done. You can't ignore it. 
And the enemy is not just going to go because you want him to. You, how many knows you've got to drive out the enemy? All right. And so let me say one more thing. America, it seems like just like a train has, a train track has two different sides of it. And they're going the same direction, but they're two different sides. America has like two different sides of the train track. See, that one side of the train track was whenever this nation, this area, if you go back and research this landmass, there was a, a group of people, and I have actually quite a bit of Native American in my heritage, so I'm not saying this in any way disrespectfully, but there were Native Americans that were here that predated um, the pilgrims. And so this landmass was basically consecrated, if you will, and given over to, to what we would call Baal in the Bible, but what the Indians would call the Great Spirit or whatever. It was kind of given over, and there was basically their shamanism and their witchcraft was taking place throughout this land. And there may even be some other things that we don't really know much about. I know that some people have really studied this out. They're brilliant people, and I really respect them, that when Joshua did the conquest of Canaan, and drove out the inhabitants of the land, drove out some of those giants, that they actually, those inhabitants, went seafaring and went to different lands, and they have reason to believe that some of them ended up here on this land, and that they, um, you know, maybe tried to dedicate some of this to their gods or whatever. So my point is, is that when the pilgrims came here in the early, early 1600s, there was, why did the pilgrims come here? We all know this. They came here seeking religious freedom because of Queen Elizabeth, Queen Mary, and those that were there in Britain, and they were trying to make, you know, Mary, that's where you get the name Bloody Mary. She was trying to make everything Catholic. If you weren't Catholic, she'd kill you. Then her sister came to power, wanted to make everything Church of England, and you had to be Church of England. You had to do it. It was a religious oppression. So the pilgrims fled that, but they didn't just come to this part of the world just fleeing persecution, but they came here wanting to further the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that? They came here as missionaries, and Pat Robertson and them did a great job of, of talking about this, but they landed in Virginia Beach, and back then it was called Cape Henry, and they set up a cross, and they dedicated this land to God, and they prayed that this land would belong to the Lord and it would be to his glory and it would be for the advancement of the gospel. And when they moved in, they began to try to witness to the Native Americans that were here. And so you have this two sides of a train track. Now the pilgrims eventually more and more moved here. We know American history. And then eventually we broke away from Britain became, so there was this aspect of this land being dedicated to God and we have an incredible Judeo-Christian heritage. We all know this, but I mean, the, the book that was taught originally in school by our founding fathers, etc., was the Bible. It was honored. The schools uh, would open with prayer. And so we have these two train tracks. We have this spirit of Baal, and then eventually that kind of Freemasonry came over and joined in that. That's one side. And then we've also got this land dedicated to God and 
God-fearing Judeo-Christian heritage, and they've been kind of going together, but we're seeing now in these last days, what are you seeing? You're seeing the battle between the two getting very intense. And the evil side is now trying to take over and oppress our godly heritage in Christians in this nation. And if God's people will really pray and get a hold of God for real, God will step in and he'll, and he'll push back up things that need to come back up and he'll turn, it, turn the tide in our favor. But if God's people don't pray and they let the devil get away with it, don't be surprised if you don't see things like socialism and communism and the suppression of the gospel, etc. because that's exactly what Satan's trying to do. So there's this battle there. So I'm, do you see where I'm going with this? There's a rebel kingdom in the second heaven over this nation that has blinded the minds of unbelievers. There's something there that's got to be contended with. And throughout this land, we know that there's a residue of some things that are dark and evil, but there's also a residue. This has been a land of great revival. This is a land that, that Wesley and Whitfield traveled and that Edward saw a great first awakening and then the Cambridge revival, which didn't just happen there at Cambridge, but it spread. And, and we saw the great revivals that happened in the 1857, 58, and we know about Finney and all that that swept down our East Coast. And, and then what about Azusa Street that also spread Pentecost? And then we had the great revivals of the 40s and 50s that were tent evangelists, traveled the entire nation and, and spread healing power and deliverance. And, and then we saw the great uh, Jesus revival of the 60s into the 70s. And of course, the great revivals that took place in the 90s that swept America. What I'm saying is, is that we've, we have a residue of good, but we also kind of have some residue of bad. And there's a battle in the heavens and it is going to have to be that God's people are dead serious in prayer and that through our prayers that we're going to see the prevailing princes and powers and wickedness in high places restrained and that God begin to step in and send revival to this nation. That's going to be what turns it. I know you know it. But let me share a couple more things. So God, many people, and I can't get too theological, but... All right, so there's kind of this hyper-Calvinism that's out there in some circles, not everywhere, just some. But the idea is that God is sovereign over all, in which we know that that is true, but there's legalities and there's free will. But the mentality with hyper-Calvinism, which I am not, I do not believe in it at all, but what they do believe is this, that they take it to an extreme form of predestination meaning that if you were born to be predestined to go to heaven, that no matter what, eventually God was going to make it to where you were saved and in heaven. If you were born predestined to hell, you would end up in hell no matter what. See, there, it takes away free will, and it's just weird. It's, if that is true, there's no point in witnessing to anybody. I mean, it, what's going to be is just going to be. So what's the point of praying about anything? What's the point of witnessing? See, I believe that that type of teaching was some leaven that Satan himself made sure to get into the body of Christ because it really does plant those seeds of, 
Well, how many people believe that out there? Think about it. How many people believe this right now? They think, well, you know, God's just going to do what God's going to do. It goes back to that right there. You know what? It doesn't work like that. What's going to happen is, is that either the devil's going to have his way or the church is going to rise up and use their authority and see God come down and have his way. We're living behind enemy lines here. And so it is a battle. And some of that weird hyper-Calvinism, and boy, it's a spirit, is also like where you get back to this once save, always save mentality that, that's preached. And they may not say these exact words, but they unfortunately lead many people to believe, and it's pervasive in our nation. Well, if you say this little prayer, you're good to go. However you live, you know, and so... People think they can just go to a church, say a little prayer and vacation Bible school or maybe through some kind of a youth conference and then they go out, live in sin and live like the devil and they still think, well, I prayed the prayer. So how many knows that God's perfect will in 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not willing that any should perish but that all come to repentance. Did you know that it's not God's will that one single person go to hell? But yet, Jesus said that there's a broad way that lead to destruction, many will find it. There's a narrow way that leads to life, and few will find it. So God's perfect will is not happening in many cases. And I felt to share this story, it, it kind of goes with this a little bit, but there was a friend of mine that years ago, I went to this, this meeting, it was young people were there, and it was a gathering, like a camp meeting of adults and young people, and I remember that I was there, there was this guy, and God had mightily touched my life, and so I was praying, especially with the young people in the altars, and God was touching young people, and there was another guy there that was praying for people, and I noticed that God was really using him. And we, we kind of became friends during this conference, and we were talking to each other. And he had been through a lot, and he had been through some betrayals and some difficulties. But, and I believe that's one of the reasons why God had really touched and anointed his life so powerfully. It was a real strong anointing on him. But he told me this story, and it, I'll never forget this, and I pray you'll never forget this. His father was a minister, but he, he was really, grew up in church and saw a lot of stuff, you know, like a lot of preacher's kids. He saw the way people were toward his dad, etc. and he just really didn't want much to do with church. He ended up getting out of church and away from God, but his parents were praying for him, and later on in life, he, um, he came to know the Lord. I mean, he really repented and got things right with God, came back to church. And here's what happened. He felt God calling him to the ministry. And he said that he was praying, and all of a sudden he was like on his hands and knees, he was praying. God was calling him into the ministry. And as he's, he's praying and he's feeling this tug to the ministry, God gives him this open vision. And, he, and the way he talked was is that he had never had a vision before. And he said, all of a sudden, he saw hell. It was like just open like this, and he saw hell. 
And he saw pits of fire everywhere, and people, individual people in these pits, and they were burning, they were tormented. But there was a guy that was walking around in there, and he, he said he had never seen somebody so angry and full of hate. And this guy was reaching down and grabbing people and turning them where he could see their face and just throwing them back in. He was doing that. And he's watching this bizarre scene. And as he's seeing that he's in prayer, he's feeling a call to ministry. And he says, Lord, what am I seeing? And the Lord said that man is looking. In hell, he's looking for the preacher that told him that he could live in sin and still go to heaven. And the Lord said to him, I'm calling you into the ministry. You do not be that man. He comes out of the vision. Man, he told me that story. Boy, that stayed with me. So we've got a responsibility. Tonight, I just felt the Lord wanted me to share this with you. I just have a few more things. But guys, the church, we have a responsibility. If we don't pray and get the enemy restrained and pray in a move of God. I'm just saying this real bluntly. There's going to be a lot of people in hell because we didn't. That's not God's will. That's not what he wants. But if the church doesn't do our job, that's going to be what happens. It's our responsibility. John Wesley stated this. He stated, it seems that God is limited by our prayers that he can do nothing to help humanity unless someone's praying. The devil took Adam's authority. He set up a rebel kingdom, and he's blinding the minds of unbelievers. But Jesus raised from the dead, and he gave his authority to us here and now. But if we don't use our authority and rise up, how many knows the devil is definitely going to have his way? Somebody has got to be a restraining force. I've got about three more things I just want to say and close with this, but the first one I will say is this, that Christ's victory at the cross has got to be enforced. Just like the forgiveness of sins, Jesus died for everybody to be forgiven in the whole world. He took the sins of the world. But many people are not appropriating that by faith, you see. In the same way, Jesus took stripes on his back for our healing. But how many, myself included, how many of us as Christians have battled in health? See, there is a laying hold by faith. There's a laying hold of what Jesus did by faith in clearing away whatever it is that's hindering the healing and pressing in. The same thing with deliverance. Jesus paid for our deliverance. But how many people have gotten saved and still needed to be set free from some things? Of course, many. The same thing. You've got to clear away the, all that legal ground and clear away the hindrance and lay hold of that deliverance that Jesus paid for by faith. Also with provision. Jesus died nude. He died impoverished so that we could be provided for and the Bible says he's supply of our needs according to his riches and glory. So, but there is a laying hold. How many, as a Christian, have had times where you knew that you needed God to really help you out because you did not know how you were going to pay the bills this month? How many have been there? I have. But Jesus paid for our need. But see, there is a laying hold of by faith. 
So just because Jesus paid for it does not mean that it just automatically just happens. There is an element that you have to lay hold of. It's in the bank account, but you have to withdraw out when you need it. You see what I'm saying? It's available, but we have to access it. How do we access? By faith. We lay hold of it. It's there. So in the same way, God's given us great authority. We have access to great authority. Great authority over the harvest field, great authority over Satan's kingdom. And if we will come together, like I talked about last week, drawn together, harmonizing together, we can possess what God has for us. We can see revival. We can see a harvest come in. But here's the last couple things I want to share. Two things. We cannot let our love grow cold toward the lost. It's going to be easy. The Bible says in the latter days, the love of many will grow cold. It's going to be very easy if we're not careful to be cynical. You know, we've already witnessed these people. These people have heard the gospel. They've heard it on television. They've heard it on radio. They've heard it on the internet. They've heard it on YouTube. There's people that's witnessed to them on the streets. Family members have witnessed to them. They don't want to be saved. Fine, then let them go to hell. It's going to be easy to get that attitude if we're not careful. How would it have been if somebody had that attitude toward us? And I've, I've been around long enough to see a lot of big events. I've seen big, big events of prayer with thousands and thousands of people that came together for a day or maybe a couple days. And it was anointed, but when they packed up and went home, it really didn't leave any lasting impact in the region. I've seen it multiple times in multiple regions. There has to be some kind of a persistent, consistent prayer that presses and breaks a hole open in the skies and lays hold of God and sees a real move of God. And and that is not going to be accomplished by just passing events. It's something that's got to be consistent there. If we're not careful, we will replace prayer and the power of God, and I mean, I believe many places have, with technology and entertainment. Powerful prayers and intercessions for souls being saved, the birth pangs, the intercessors, the type of prayers that really birth souls and and cause great healings and miracles to happen and and people to be delivered and and baptized in the Holy Ghost. Powerful intercession that has been relatively done away with for the most part in many places and simply replaced with technology, and with entertainment. And when we yield to the Holy Spirit and begin to have these deep groans, these deep travails, powerful prayers, prayers by the Spirit, unified prayers, these are the type of prayers that will break open the heavens bind and restrain the enemy, and cause the harvest to yield. How many knows that what we bind on earth is bound in heaven, what we loose on earth is loosed in heaven? We have authority to roll back the tides of darkness. The Holy Spirit can use us. Tremendous power and authority is available, but we have to come together in some very serious prayers, even mixed with some fasting. 
And this is the last thing I want to say is Paul at Ephesus. Paul had went through Ephesus the first time as I've preached many, many times. And nothing seemed to happen of great significance, although he did plant a church. And I suspect that because the Apostle Paul, when he got saved, he didn't confer with men, but he went off by himself and prayed and fasted and sought God. And then he ends up in Antioch, which was a hub of Christianity, kind of a hub of revival. And in Antioch, the church there was committed to being a house of prayer and fasting and worship. And Paul and Barnabas were in that church, and they were a part of that. And it was a, they saw the power of that. They experienced the power of it. And I think that they probably understood the power of it even before going in there. But it was a church in Antioch that understood worship, powerful prayer, and powerful times of fasting. And in a period of time, Paul and Barnabas, the Holy Spirit, spoke to them and said, set them apart for the work to which I've called them. So the leadership of that church laid hands and sent them out. That's how their ministry was born. And so when Paul went through Ephesus the first time, and some people were saved, and he started a church, I'm sure that he talked to them about the importance of prayer. And I'm sure that like the early church um, throughout Asia and, and down in Jerusalem, I'm sure that they devoted themselves to a lot of prayer and probably fasting. Isn't it interesting that as these churches really were hubs of prayer, that the second time that Paul came back through Ephesus, the Holy Spirit just exploded there. Paul saw the greatest revival of his ministry that we know of written in Scripture, and it's talked about in Acts chapter 19. The Holy Spirit moved from the time Paul entered Ephesus. He ran into a group of disciples, and he said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And right there on the spot, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Paul goes in, he begins to preach. He ends up for what he thought would be passing through the city, maybe ministering for a short amount of time. He ends up staying for over two years. And the Bible says that the whole of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey, the whole of Asia heard the gospel in those two years. They saw a great harvest of souls that Paul saw such mighty miracles that even handkerchiefs and aprons that were brought to him, and he would pray over them, and he would send them back because there were people that couldn't make it to the meetings that were too sick or demonized. When the handkerchiefs and aprons were brought back home, they would put them on the sick person, and the sick person was completely healed. If they needed deliverance, the demon left them. There was such a major move of God that all these people that practiced the dark arts were getting saved, and how many knows that can be a tough crowd? And because they were really sincere, they brought all of their witchcraft books and scrolls and materials, all that paraphernalia, and Paul had a huge bonfire where they burned all of it. But you know as well as I do, something like that does not just happen. Somebody prayed. But it's interesting, the Apostle Paul referred to this time in, in Ephesus where God sent great revival. He talked about it in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9. And he said to the Corinthian church, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. Isn't that interesting? He said, basically, Corinthians, I can't come to you right now. I'm sending this letter because I'm, I'm here in Ephesus, 
because God has opened up a door of great revival here, and we're seeing a great harvest of souls. So I can't get there right now. I'm sending you this letter, but let me tell you, not only is God sending great revival, but also I have great opposition. When you have great revival, there is opposition. And of course, he had it from Demetrius the silversmith. And so let me read these scriptures, and we're going to pray. John 21, verse 4, But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Remember, he raised from the dead. They didn't recognize him at first. And Jesus said to them, Children, you do not have any fish to eat, do you? And they answered, No. He said to them, Well, cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find fish. You know as well as I do, they'd been fishing all night and hadn't caught a thing. And so they cast the net on the other side, and they were not able to haul it in because of the great quantity of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Jesus shows up, guys, if we will be among those that will persistent, consistently pray in a move of God, not getting caught up with the, the hype, the big events, putting on a big show. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I've seen too many times, I mean several, where it's this big thing, it's a big event. A lot of people come, the smoke and the lights, famous speakers come, it's a big deal. People get all excited, they pack up and go home, and two weeks later, Dallas is really no different than it was before they came. I've seen it over and over and over and over and over again. That's not going to do it. That's man trying to make something happen. What's going to really do it is whenever there's a group that will come together and press into God. Then, let me tell you, when God responds, Jesus Christ will step in and he will say, cast the net on the other side. And then, just like the Apostle Paul, the door will open, revival will break forth, the harvest will yield, and God's kingdom will advance. But it's only going to happen when people get serious with God in prayer and fasting. Matthew 16, 18, And I also say to you, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. How many knows the gates of hell cannot overpower us? But we have to rise up in our authority. The Lord says, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. We have the keys. We have the authority. It echoes in my mind that Ruby and Addie were these intercessors that taught me, these elderly women taught me how to pray. Some of the things they told me have just stayed with me. 25 years later, I still remember it like yesterday. Ruby looks at me and she says, Scott, these Pentecostal churches out here in the South, they know how to have revival. She said they just aren't willing to pay the price in prayer and fasting to see revival, but they know how to have it. She's right. And now what you're seeing is they're replacing that type of prayer and the power of God and Book of Acts Christianity with just technology and entertainment. And it's not going to get the job done. Hell is not scared of technology. Hell is not scared of your PowerPoint. Hell is not scared of your skinny jeans. Hell is not scared of your coffee shop and your church. And your little, you know, groups where people meet together and socialize. And hell is not scared of your programs. I'm just telling you. Hell is not scared of your three fancy songs. 
But what I tell you what really does make hell tremble, and I'm not saying this just to hype you guys up. I'm telling you the truth. What makes hell tremble is when people know who they are in God and they come together and they start really praying and fasting for souls. That's what makes hell tremble. And that will push back hell and that will release heaven into that region. You mark my word. And the Bible says in 16, 19, Matthew 16, 19, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth, loosed in heaven. We have authority and it's our responsibility. Wouldn't it be horrible? Think about it for a moment tonight. I guess Steve Hill's influence in my life, but I've never lost a burden for souls. Thank God. But I'm going to tell you, right now tonight, here we are in this building, but there are, there are billions of people beneath our feet down there that are in hell tonight, right now. And I wonder if some of those people eventually came to the realization, I could have been saved but nobody really prayed for me. Think about that. I could have been saved, but there was nobody really praying for me. And consequently, I was hardened. I was blinded by the God of the world. And even though somebody did try to witness to me one time, I, was, I couldn't receive it. I was blinded. I didn't understand. I could have been saved if somebody had really prayed me in. It's not just enough to go out there and try to witness. That's awesome, and we've got to do that. That's one of the most important things we can do. But it's not going to be effective unless you've prayed first. You're going to have to bind the enemy and break his power off them. And I think that that's, you know, that's kind of what you were running up against when you say you went to this house to witness. You, you felt like you were coming up against some kind of a oppressive thing there. In that, and then what happens? You open the door and the guy is like, I don't want to hear it. There's a spirit about that, you see. It's like some kind of an antichrist spirit or something. There's a spirit about that. The God of this world has blinded that man. There's something there. And unless somebody praise them in. Why do you think that? I, I really believe that Steve Hill somehow put this in my life, okay? Because I spent a lot of time under his ministry and him praying for me. But I have a burden for souls. Why do you think I'm continually praying for this harvest? Because I feel that there's a responsibility. Unless we pray them in and push back hell's influence off them and get that blinding force off them, and pray them in, many of them will perish unless we do it. But you mark my word, River of Life, you guys are a praying group of people, and you, if you'll stay with it, you're going to see it. I promise you, you're going to see a supernatural harvest. Guarantee. Let's go ahead and shut down recordings. Lord, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. And Lord, I just pray that this will stir people, stir people to pray. 